The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. <laughs> who is laughing in an appropriate manner. Because tonight, we are going to be discussing horror RPGs. Uh, we previously discussed post-apocalyptic RPGs. So now we're tripping the night fantastic and going into the realm of horror RPGs. And joining us tonight is going to be our friend, Chad. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Chad. All right. So as I said, tonight we're going to be talking about horror RPGs. I think we're going to start out by having Don tell us about the different kinds of horror RPGs, at least as he sees them. Okay. Um, the thing that makes horror as a genre different from other kinds of stories in that, I think, is the idea that in a horror story, two things happen. Number one is... You piss your pants? If you're lucky, because it's supposed to be that the heroes are at a huge disadvantage. Right. Mm. Like, victory is not assured. And kind of tying into that is that in a horror story more than any other, things happen that the characters and or the audience don't understand and may never understand. Hmm. Okay. But does that mean the GM can just randomly throw stuff at them? In theory, yeah, for a game it does. Um, okay. It can lead to bad form because, uh, tying into what you were saying, there's c different kinds of horror, and there's two that I think are appropriate for role-playing games. Um, one is what I guess nowadays they call personal horror, mm -hmm. which would be like your Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It's, it's the idea that something you don't understand, something that you can't defeat, is coming from from within you, from within your personality, from within your own psyche, that sort of thing. Right. And I think especially for horror games, you get what I guess you call pseudo-horror, mm -hmm. which has trappings associated with horror, but it doesn't have that inherent sense of loss. Right. Um, like for what do you mean by loss? Well, for, for example, it would be... Um, you watch like a slasher flick and you know that all but one of those kids are going to die by the end of the film. If you're lucky. Yeah, like that that's essentially that's a given. That's that's mm -hmm. where the horror part comes in. In a role-playing game, you don't necessarily want it to be that final. <laughs> it does become a little difficult when you have a group of players who probably don't want to die halfway through the game. Yeah. And to rectify that what they'll they'll be they'll be outs there'll be ways to defeat the villain um mm -hmm. so it's not true horror but it kind of looks and feels like it right uh, a good example would be the uh, the original ravenloft module for advanced dungeons and dragons mm -hmm. it's a vampire in a haunted house and it's got like ghosts and like mysterious like townsfolk in that and it mm -hmm. really does play like an old universal pictures 
kind of monster movie, except it's still Dungeons and Dragons, so everything is still level appropriate, and it's still possible to defeat the enemy, beat the monsters, and there are still random encounters, and I think there's like a dragon in the basement for some reason, and stuff like that. Hmm. Although I would like to comment, though, that in the majority of horror movies, I mean, this has been this has shifted over the years, but in the majority of horror movies, usually the monster, villain, whatever, usually does get defeated at the end. I mean, that's so the audience can you know all you know breathe a sigh of relief and go back to their lives and not have to worry you know too much. I mean, that's part of the whole horror experience, right? They wind you up and then they eventually they let you down, just like a roller coaster. Yeah, it kind of depends on the era, too, like the old Universal mm-hmm. Monsters would. Mm. But there would be that the one of the ideas is there would be a price. Right. That somebody would would one of the heroes that usually be a team because some of them just aren't going to make it. Mm, that's true. Yeah. When you get to the 60s, the 70s, you had some more nihilistic ones where you would have movies that nobody wins at the end. That's true. And then it's it, it it's again, it ties into that idea get into the games of what exactly is it you're trying to achieve with your story Mm -hmm. like i say a true horror story if if not if it's not going to be that the players are totally outgunned it at least feels that way right okay and that's where you get like the movies there's always a race to find the monster's weakness right whereas in a role-playing game a lot of them because of the nature of gaming and because mm-hmm. you know you're playing a game, de facto, there's this understanding that there's a way to beat the monster. Yeah, yeah, of course. Although, mind you, wouldn't wouldn't you actually make the argument that uh, a lot of horror RPGs tend to work as sort of one-offs and not really extended campaigns because it, it makes things a little bit more, I guess, final. That there's mm. this there's this fear that oh, I'm gonna you know this might be it for the game and my character doesn't survive, right? It kind of does. Um, you, you get some kind of weird, uh, weird mixes because um, the very first mm-hmm. horror role playing game mm-hmm. is uh, Call of Cthulhu. Yes, and it's it's written with this assumption that you will have a campaign that you'll be using the same characters over and over, but it's also written because it, it's an early game. It's nineteen eighty one. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, mechanical representation going on in role-playing games, mm-hmm. and Cthulhu does that, and it does it while still adhering to Lovecraft's humanity is doom theory. So the adventures, the published adventures, are always written with the assumption that the players win, but you're fighting monsters like um, Cthulhu himself that does 21d6 damage on a hit, mm. and the most hit points a human character can have is 21. Oh, okay. So you're you're basically just rolling to see how dead you are, right? And it's written like that. You're you're facing down these implacable, unbeatable foes, mm. but it's written as if you're going to somehow win, which doesn't happen. And it's it's getting at like what what Chad was saying. Aren't mm-hmm. they one offs? Cthulhu kind of pretended it wasn't, but played out like it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I, I seem to recall that a lot of the adventures were more about either circumventing the... You would discover, like, let's say, for example, there's a monster in a mine that's mm-hmm. affecting the town, right? And it was not so much about killing the monster. At best, you could maybe, you know, blow the mine up, the, the entrance, and it would seal the thing away. It was still there. 
right? It's just right. you're that's the that's the most kind of final way you could deal with it, assuming it didn't kill you at some point. But you know, the the, the threat's never really gone anywhere. It's it still lies in wait and. A couple hundred years later, when they bulldoze the mine to put up a Starbucks, the horror starts all over again. <laughs> Starbucks is horrific enough, Chad. Yeah. That's why they're everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I, I see your point. So really, they're almost like a mystery then, where you're trying to find out exactly what is going on. And once you do, the solution is not to confront the monster or kill it, but just find some way to just t- um, temporarily lock it away or seal it away, because you're not going to yeah. defeat it. Like, yeah, chances okay. are, you wouldn't actually ever go toe-to-toe with Cthulhu himself. It's more about mm-hmm. you take the uh, you take the cultists out that are about to summon him up. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right? Uh, if he, yeah, it, you basically the entire team loses if, if they win kind of thing, right? So mm-hmm. that that's kind of more what it was. It's like this kind of, it's like this, um, uh, it's like this grim, overreaching horror where you're just supposed to, at best, avoid it. Yeah. Mm. Or, or slow it down, but never stop it outright. Right, because you can't. It's and the problem too. Well, and also given the fact that your characters slowly go nuts, like it, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't lend well to long term. You know, long campaigns because your your characters over time will just go crazy from what they're learning and seeing. We yeah. should probably explain um, the original Call of Cthulhu game. I think the original has it too, but definitely the ones later editions have sanity points. Yep. And your character starts with a certain number of sanity points, and they slowly lose them as they encounter. Well, you know, the unknown and so and horrific things. And so what happens is, is that your character will slowly go insane and they'll slowly um, develop all these problems that will come as your sanity gets lower and lower and lower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, then at, now, was there a way to get back sanity points? I know there's no way to get back health points in the original Call of Cthulhu because they expected you didn't need it. <laughs> um, you either lived or you died. But was there actually a way to get back sanity? Yeah, there, there, there was a few um, in the game. What you could do was uh, beating monsters, or at least stomping mm-hmm. their plan, would get you points. Oh, okay. Um, if you mastered a skill, like if you got a skill up, I think it's like 95% or higher, mm-hmm. that would give you points. Okay. Uh, there was all kind, You could go for a psychotherapy. Yeah, that makes sense. Because most Cthulhu groups, it always paid to have one or two guys that took psychology and psychoanalysis, depending on the edition you're playing. At, right. at a decent level because they could treat the rest of the group because the game was set in the 1920s. The 1920 sanitariums weren't the greatest of places. No. And the, the game represented that. So your character could go in to get treated and come out with, you know, like all kinds of crippling diseases. And he was beaten by the uh, staff at random intervals and stuff. Right. Yes. Right. So, so, like in a nutshell, if you saw something horrific, the best plan of action was to go see a shrink and learn like automotive repair and do really well at it, and you were fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Because <laughs> then you could drive away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That does give you a certain sense of power. I can understand that actually. Because that's the weird thing. That game I remember was sort of set up that like it was more of just like a um, uh, a courtesy to go. Okay, if you do run into Cthulhu. Here's what his his, his stats are, and yeah. it's ridiculous. Mm. You're not kind of meant to. It's like you know, it's like fighting Godzilla. It's like I throw a punch at Godzilla, and I'm like, okay, roll one d six. Now he attacks back, and you just put like this bag of dice on the on the table. <laughs> That's it, pretty much it. It's yeah. it it's true, but there there's always an exception. Mm. Um, we played the hell out of Cthulhu back in the day. 
Mm-hmm. And it was one of Doke's characters. He called him Ernie Sick because uh, rolling up stats, his constitution, I think, began at a five or a six. And it, it uses the same scale as uh, your old Dungeons and Dragons. So nine is average, 18 is the max, three is the minimum. Oh, so he was what, six? Yeah, so he was he was not off to a good start at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that character wouldn't die. Oh. And it was like, and, and I ran it because it's supposed to be a horror game and it's supposed to be, like I said, that idea that everything is frightening and the frightening comes from, man, if I do anything, I'm going to, my character's going to get killed. And that guy, he wouldn't, at the end of the campaign, I think he was down to a constitution of two. <laughs> and that's not his hit points. That's his base <coughs> constitution. Like, that's below, like, human minimum. But he wouldn't die. He always just barely made his, like, sanity checks and that. And he wasn't doing good, but... <laughs> <laughs> I have just enough juice to keep my lungs and heart working. <laughs> yeah, basically. So so it's possible. Wow. It's it's entirely possible to, to, and we ran it as a campaign, but like Chad was saying, it kind of becomes one-offs, and we had the uh, players group form a, an association, mm, and they plan. bought they bought this house that became like you know I forget what they called it. So when characters would die, new characters would be people joining up to this research group, mm. and when the entire group would be dead, they would bequeath this this house and everything in it a couple years later to another like whole different group. Right. Because as I recall, one guy got turned into a giant worm, and ten years later when somebody else inherited the house, that giant worm killed off half of that new group in the first encounter. Wow. (laughs) Welcome to Cthulhu. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think think you were right. One of you said this earlier, that it was... The the games are more presented as like like a sort of a mystery that the characters Mm -hmm. are supposed to slowly unravel. Yeah. And, you know, because um, I think I think this game, there's a sort of a popular theory that this game was sort of spawned from, uh, in particular, uh, the, one of the Lovecraft stories, uh, the, the, the Dunwich Horror, mm-hmm. um, which is about basically a, 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 an invisible monster running amok in a town that was sort of uh, brought in through mm-hmm. um, through a guy letting his wife uh, have an affair with like an outerworldly monster. And uh, this is one of the spawns it creates. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and basically what it is is that it's this sort of uh, the, the, there's a, a collection of professors from from the Arkham University that discover this, and then because they're they're trained in these ways, they go to the town and basically get rid of the thing by, I guess, doing an incantation that gets it out of our our plane of existence, kind of thing, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of the rare Lovecraft books where the heroes kind of win. Yeah. Normally, it's this, Call, yeah. Cthulhu. Call Cthulhu itself is all about people trying to stop Cthulhu from being resurrected. Well, it's yeah. it's more about people sort of discovering that there's this weird cult that's like worldwide, and, and it's yeah. a countdown to them basically unleashing Cthulhu on the world, right? You know, and but, and the books the books wrote wrote in this sort of like circular pattern. So the idea being that as the reader, mm-hmm. you're reading about how this other guy stumbled across evidence of the cult and then died for it. Because right. he, you know, he, he he was kind of given this this horrible knowledge, and now guess what? You get to too because now you're in on the you're <laughs> in on the you're group. In on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, definitely. 
All right, so I just want to back up, Don. So, Don, okay. basically what you're saying is that there's like three types of horror games then. There's horror, where the heroes are outgunned and don't really understand what's going on, and it basically tends to play like a mystery. Yeah. There's psychological horror, which is like the um, kind of like the the self-horror, where the, you know, the monster is you, it's some, something kind of within you, etc. Yeah. And then finally, there's, I guess, the monster hunting stories, the ones where the heroes are basically meant to go out and kick monster butt, sort of. But the, but the monsters, t- not just cannon fodder, though, they're actually really dangerous and scary, but they have weaknesses, and you can kind of exploit that. Is that it? Yeah, generally. And then what you can see when they first started a gaming that kind of those kind of things with the Cthulhu mm. game is the the very original is kind of that a weird mix of all of that yes yeah that's true because you have the going insane you have the yeah. horror and there is some of the semi-horror going on there as well some of the monster hunting stuff is happening there yeah because we used to play um and where i i used very few of like the top end monsters i guess you'd say It'd mm-hmm. be like the minion level ones that you could actually maybe do something about. Oh, I was going to say one of the other mm-hmm. things too that happens with, with Cthulhu is uh, Cthulhu Mythos is a skill that you, you pick up during the game. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the skill that lets you do research and find the monster's weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But your level of that skill subtracts directly from your max, maximum level of sanity. Right. So again, the game has that weird, it maintains true horror Mm. in that even when you're winning, you're still losing. That there's that sense that you can't ultimately win the game. Right. And it also kind of takes um, another idea, and this goes with with, uh, what Chad was saying about how the, the, the Dunwich Horror story works. That... It's designed that every encounter is supposed to be like a, a unique thing. Mm-hmm. And as as a game, you're not constantly throwing like hordes of things at the players. Right. Well, they wouldn't last if you did. Yeah. And, and, and it's not the kind of setting that you'd have that. It's kind of made so that you savor what's going on, I guess, would be the way of explaining right. it. Mm, okay. Makes sense. Yeah, you're kind. Of, you're kind. Of, you were enjoying the small, limited but dangerous horror, and you're just kind of going through it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, okay. Well, we discussed Call of Cthulhu. Was there anything else anyone wanted to say about it before we move on a little bit? Um, nope. Not really. I mean, it's. I mean, for me, it's always the strength was just the the. I guess the mythos and the creatures because it wasn't your typical vampires and werewolves and. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like stuff that made almost no sense, mm-hmm. right? So you, you really were going up, you know, as you were saying earlier, that there's a, a fear of the unknown. And yeah, mm-hmm. like these are, you're going up against things that literally, there's no point of reference for them. It's like, okay, it's this big worm and it's got like a second head on it and <laughs> that's got tentacles and then one of those tentacles is holding the sword and okay, right. right? You know, like there's, I just can't go, oh, it's a mummy. Get me, get me some fire, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> It's funny you say that because there was an old comic in uh, the fourth edition one. They had this little section of like little gag comics. And one of them was Call of Cthulhu is the only game where the game master can put a miniature of the monster on the table and the players still don't know what it is. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) Now, ironically, the second horror RPG, just to move on, was uh, Bureau 13, Stalking Night Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Which 
is actually a horror comedy game. It's kind of more of the monster hunting thing. It's meant to be a li- with a there's like horror, but there's meant to be a little bit of a humor element to it as well. Yeah. So it's almost like um, uh, Men in Black, but with monsters. Basically. Yeah, pretty much, actually. So, I mean, it's our, so it's our IPB. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Bureau uh, 13. Don, I thought we agreed that we were going to talk <laughs> about RIPD. <laughs> you did it too now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Rob, don't say anything. <laughs> right. Anyway, so the thing is, Bureau 13 is, you know, the Men in Black. I mean, Bureau 13, base, that's what they are. They're just monsters instead of aliens. That's basically what they are. It's, they're there to be kind of, they're a police force, basically. Well, okay, they're the X-Files, I guess. If the X-Files were more competent and, um, what would be the correct term? Uh, aggressive about dealing with the creatures, I suppose. Well, Bureau 13's a little, little. Uh, a, you're on the right track, I think. Mm-hmm. It falls into that that third category, that monster hunting, where even though the monsters are tough, you may kind of have a chance. Right. Bureau 13 is very, um, if you're familiar with um, non-slasher flick 80s direct-to-video monster movies, Mm -hmm. that's what it is. Okay. Because it has a lot of wackiness. It does have some comedy. Um, There's a whole lot of, if you know the gaming in it, because Richard Tcholka... Mm-hmm. was one of the old, old, old school game designers. So there's a lot of in-jokes for the gaming industry in it. Right. And right. it it has the uh, the Tri-Tac combat system. Oh, God. Yeah, which which is that it's it's incredibly realistic, freakishly detailed, mm. takes a million years to master where it breaks down like the body into grids. Right, yeah. And it's, Do you it's, know exactly where people were hit? Yeah. So it's every single inch. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so it's so it's very um, bloody as well as what you're saying. Yeah. It's it's again. I would say it's coming from that Call of Cthulhu, um, representing what's going on old school game kind of thinking. Hmm. It it takes it a little like in some new places because again the the horror is more personal. It's it's not like Cthulhu shows up doesn't notice the group you die anyway. It's. Mm. It's, you know, the weird monsters eating children in the small Midwestern town and you show up with like your your scanners and your weapons and it's a fight, but it's one that you might possibly be able to win. Right. Here's an interesting question. Does Bureau 13 predate Ghostbusters? Let's see. It came out in 1983. What year did Ghostbusters come out? Not the game, the actual movie. Like I thought it was 84, but yeah. keep in mind that it was also based off of a, of a television show. Sort of. Sort of, kind of, very not really? loosely. Yeah, there was a there was an old seventies TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was two guys and a and a, and a gorilla and yeah. a gorilla. Yeah, that that Ghostbusters. Yes, yeah. And then it got turned into a cart. Well, yeah, it got turned into a cartoon. Well, yeah, because the yeah. the Ghostbusters film mm-hmm. had to go to them to get the uh, the legal rights to the name. Yeah, right. Which is why when there was a Ghostbusters animated series, they had to be called the real Ghostbusters because yeah, yeah. legally they weren't allowed to use it or some weird thing. It was yep. some cr- legal kerfuffle. Yeah, because yep. that, that was filmation. That was uh, Larry Storch, as I recall, starred in that. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, but so, but that would mean the Bureau 13 does predate Ghostbusters, even though they're effectively doing the same kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. Sort of. Sort yeah. of. I mean, yeah, they Bureau 13, but it's, I can say it's probably closer to uh, Men in Black. 
Yeah, like it's a, it's a weird organization, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it was formed right. after the Civil War by the U.S. government. That's what Bureau Thirteen is. They're the this weird branch of the U.S. government. Everybody's kind of forgotten is there. Right, right. I I read one or two of the novel versions. I never actually played the game, but there were some novels that had Phil Foglio covers, so I read them. <laughs> And there was also in the game, like your your characters could do stuff like use magic and stuff like that too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it was it was tricky, but in theory, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, well. Okay. So Bureau Thirteen was followed in the horror game chronology by Chill Adventures hey. into the Unknown in '84. Woo! Which I still say is one of the best horror games ever written. And why would you say that, Don? Uh, Chill is one of the first games where. It's still the old school role playing game representing what's going on thing, mm-hmm. but it takes a few steps towards, I guess, that more storytelling narrativist kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, for instance, the combat system's pretty stripped down and and frightening in a lot of ways because everything is armed or unarmed. Okay, and when you get hit, you take wounds and you lose stamina. At zero mm-hmm. stamina, you pass out. Okay. So like a, like a critical wound, I think, is like 6d6, like, correction, 6d10 damage. Mm-hmm. And you've probably got 50 or 60 stamina, so that does a lot. The only thing that changes if it's a critical wound from like a punch, from an unarmed attack, mm-hmm. you'll end up taking, I think it's like it'll be like a light wound. Right. Whereas if it's an armed attack, like a gun or a knife, it, it's a true critical wound. And in order to die, you have to lose all your stamina and have a critical injury. Okay, that's one way to do it. Yeah, and it, and it, it's more the feel of mm. of of the combat, and it a lot of what they do represents that. That it's it's this idea of feel. The same thing with the horror genre. Uh, the monsters have a lot of powers that represent kind of things that have become typified for horror at that point, but nobody right. dealt with. Okay, such as uh, the best is haywire. Okay. Which is a power a lot of the monsters have that anything within a certain area of them doesn't work. Oh, okay. And that's that's why you can never start your car, because the monster activates his haywire power, and now your car won't work. <laughs> oh, that's that's cool, hilarious. And that, would ex- and that would explain to modern day why the cell phone can't get a signal. Yeah, and, and there's stuff like that. If you've ever, like, flipped through it, it's basically Hammer House of Horror, the role-playing game. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'd always heard, basically. Yeah, it's kind of the hammer role-playing game. Yeah, it's it's up like 60s or 70s style horror movies are very much what the what the game is like. Mm. And it's mm. it's it's really good. Like it's it plays really quick, it's easy to learn. Mm-hmm. Um the the monsters are weird in it. The idea of the monsters is that uh they come from the unknown. Right. Capital U, and it's another dimension. That every oh, okay. so often interlaps with ours. Right. Because we had played a campaign. Because this is another game we played this thing to death back in the day. Mm-hmm. Where the players actually ended up going to the unknown. And when they were there, basically, they were the monsters. Wah, wah. Yeah. Oh. So you'd run into, like, a ghost town. And it would be this kind of weird, vague kind of copy of a town with these spirits of of the deceased and evil souls kind of half alive, half going through their day. And then the players would show up and they're lively and vibrant and it would like mess with the ghosts who would be horrified of them and go to hide and stuff. 
Oh, so they do like that. It's like they go, oh, human! And they yeah. just run out of the way and jump into a suitcase and it runs away on two legs. And- yeah, that- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which wasn't an official from the game. We added that. They did a supplement that let you play as the monsters. Mm-hmm. And again, it was that that kind of um, like old school horror movie. It was horrifying and comedic because there's rules for um, if you're playing the monster when you uh, eat your victim finally. Mm-hmm. There's different rules that, like, if their willpower is below a certain level, you get more XP for them. Mm-hmm. And if you can get them to totally panic, you get more XP for that. And it's basically just the more cruel you are to the guy before you kill him, the more points you get. Oh, okay. And what were the monsters like? Was it just like a smattering of your typical classic monsters, or was it kind of weirder stuff? Or they they did a, they did a good job because they do a mix. Hmm. Uh, so there were werewolves, and there were the ones in the basic book were like your typical, oh, you get bit by a werewolf, and on a full moon you turn into one and you're evil. But then they did ones like, um, they did the uh, the Luke de Mal, mm-hmm. which are the guys that would wear the uh, the wolf pelt and use okay. magic to turn into, like, werewolves and that. Right, right. And they did a good job of, like, mixing it up with, uh, same thing, vampires. They had a whole different ton of different kinds of vampires because mm-hmm. that was the game that had the vampire ninja uh, okay that what he did to drain your blood is he'd catch you and then just rip you in half and then mm-hmm. like just tap you like a keg kind of thing and that's how he <laughs> that's how he fed he didn't bite you or nothing wow and it was it was interesting the huh. the monsters and that it was well done and they were they were they were really weird and well thought out and that's why I say um, they did a second edition that I don't think was quite as good because, again, they tried to gamer it up a little bit. Mm. But the original one was great. The original vampire book, if you're looking for source material on vampires and thoughts about what makes a vampire a vampire, mm-hmm. it's it's a classic. I would, I would definitely right. say get a copy because they talk about the changes that happen and what it's like to be an undead and why they act the way they do. Hmm. And okay. it, and it was it was like I said it was it was absolutely fantastic. And again, I highly recommend the original. Oh, okay, cool. Huh, okay, that, that that is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, just complete side note. So I'm looking at the, of course the RPG Geek list as I'm going through this. Uh-huh. And there's like on the, if you look on the left side of the screen, there's a list of like other games and supplements and stuff like that. Yeah, and I just noticed that. Just uh, what is it? One, two, fists from the bottom. There is a game, and I, or I guess it's a game called Planet Motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> it is a post-apocalyptic RPG. Planet Motherfucker. Okay. Wow. I, it kind of fits because to continue your side of touch, hmm. I've I've noticed that a lot of games now are doing these weird 1970s versions of things. Hmm. Like I've seen two different games that are like 1970s TV sci-fi games. Right. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And, and I think that probably kind of falls into that category because that sounds like a 1970s thing. Well, apparently the Cold War, uh, the Atomic War happened in '65. Okay. There and we go. Then, so, <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. The, and then so instead of resulting in a 
instead of resulting in a grim gritty wasteland where they struggled to survive, it created a, altered the fabric of reality itself and turned everything into a psychoholic grindhouse world where giant rat men, drag race, hot rods against murderer-minded robots, where lunatic wolfmen square off against brickhouse Amazons, where living dead girls, doom nuns, and murican witches command the awesome powers of the bump and grind occult. So it's Rob Zombie, the role-playing game. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Okay. Or, yeah, I was about to say, they just used the word I was thinking of. It was grindhouse. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, okay. It's like a grindhouse version of uh, Gamble World. Yeah, oh, okay. Much. Weird. And it motherfucker. Oh, weird. <laughs> Just total aside. Anyway, so we'll continue on, I guess. Okay. Um, so, so the next game on the chronological list, anyway, is the Ghostbusters RPG, which okay. they actually did. Um, I always wanted to play it, but I never had the chance. Did either of you actually ever get a chance to play the Ghostbusters RPG? Uh, I actually did. Yeah, you did. So did I. Okay, obviously yeah. that was me, bastard. <laughs> uh, no, I think this was. Um, we had played it a couple times, and it was it was interesting because it's. I think they described it as an RPG light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's it's got really loosey goosey fast rules about. It's not really meant to be like very dice heavy. It's mm-hmm. everything's kind of everything can be just kind of um, boiled down to very simple moves, and you just kind of roll the number of dice you need to win or not. And yeah. it's not really meant to be. Deep. It's just meant to be kind of very quick and fun, and yeah. Mm. Okay, so it's it's most meant mostly for like one shot fun games and things like that. And uh, no, you actually fun. could do a you actually could do a campaign on it. But what yeah. it was it, in terms of how it was set up, though, it was um, like the characters were very simplified. And even I think Don, refresh my if I'm saying this or not uh, correctly, but. I think the characters all every character had to have a um, a, a goal or a, or a specific drive that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like an interest or something. There was something that yeah. drove the characters. So it'd be like science would be something. So your character would always do sciencey stuff. Yeah. Like, or like or money. Money was a driving force. I think sex was another driving force. You know, yeah. Always, uh, mm-hmm. It was. Uh, you always try to make it. Yeah. Yeah. You always trying to get make out with the uh, with the clients. Yeah. Well, you could you could pick, and as I recall, that was how you gained experience. Was how how well you uh yeah uh, right. How well you lived up to that core concept for your character. That's actually a really cool idea. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard of similar games to that before, where the whole point was is that you have your concept and you get you get experience points for playing out that concept. And I think it's a good idea for role playing games. Well, it gives the character instant context in, in terms of how you're supposed to play them, right? Because yeah, right. I think in the in the context of the game. Um, you're basically it's the idea of it's supposed to take place after the film where the Ghostbusters have franchised yeah. mm-hmm. their 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 business and so the idea being is that you're playing basically in your own hometown they've yeah. opened up a franchise so if we played back in the day Rob we would open up a franchise in London that'd be awesome and you know deal with the deal with hauntings that happened in London and, right, you know, right. But, so that's kind of what the basic idea was right right okay yeah. that's very cool. If, okay, yeah, I, I, I bet it would have been fun to play. Um, if you've and got unfortunately, the right, I didn't get the chance. Yeah, you need, you need the right <laughs> players. I yeah, that. yeah. It, it also added the uh, ghost die, which was an interesting thing. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, because because someone, I think we used to play. Who who was it we used to play with? Chad? Was it us? Our group chat that someone had a ghost die D six. And so yeah, it was Dave. One time it was you. Okay. No, it was it was Dave. Dave had Dave. it, and it would always it would always pop up. Right, we're, you know, you'd be like roll d six, and there's a ghost. Like, mm, I don't know where that's from. Mm. Oh, okay, yep, I remember. I remember. Okay, yeah, 
So that was pretty good. Apparently, it actually came with like, um, here's some fun stuff. It came with Ghostbuster permits, damage waivers, ID yeah. cards, badges. Yeah, um, there, was, there was a shit. A last paper. will and testament. Yeah. <laughs> and, and refresh my memory, Don. Was it was it the, the when you roll the ghost, like something unexpected would happen if the ghost came up? Yeah, because the, the game worked. Your stats were how many dice you rolled. Mm-hmm. And usually you had four or five, and you'd roll them, and you'd also roll the ghost die. Mm-hmm. It, that you'd roll as one of, I, I think you rolled it as one of the ones you dropped. And if the ghost came up, you fail in a spectacular way, no matter how good you are or what you're doing. Right. Right. So it's critical failure. Right. Yeah. So if you were, yeah. So if you were using, like, say, something to do with being smart, and you're, you're trying to disarm a bomb or something. And it, it gives you a number you're supposed to beat. So you send in the smart guy who has the most amount of dice that he can roll to go over that number. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So if, if the guy's like a genius, has six dies worth of numbers, to, you know, he's going to put down six. No matter what happens, he's going to get at least six mm-hmm. kind of thing. So that was kind of how it, but that's actually a very simple, easy system. Yeah. To just, right. You just kind of, it's just very, it's very light. And just kind of coast through it. Mm. Yeah. There were some specifics like damage and, like trying to capture ghosts there were actual mechanics for but they really weren't that much more difficult right no yeah it was it wasn't it wasn't bad it wasn't one of my favorite comedy games Mm -hmm. but yeah it was definitely playable i was gonna say don is that a is that another category is the sort of comedy horror it could it could be because again it's it sort of bridges that gap that Mm. you're kind of preordained to win Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's going to suck to get there, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. Because mm. that's I, so. I'm that's sorry. what makes. Oh, I was going to say what makes comedy horror is that idea that you can't die. Ah, uh, yes. Mm. Usually, yeah, if you can die. It's usually yeah. If you can die, then that that takes some of the fun out of it. Yeah, I, I can. Well, I just I think you also get you can also deal with the problem in an unusual way that. You know what I mean? Like, there's. I remember in the in the Ghostbusters role playing game, there was a, a specific adventure where there was a, 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 a there was a, in a high rise where a new floor that never existed suddenly opened up, and there was a loud ghost party playing in it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and and they would actually give you like ways for this adventure to end, and one of them is literally convincing the guys who uh, own the building, ah, they're not much of a threat; they're just kind of loud, and it's only at night, so don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Just let just let the party run its course. It'll run out in a couple of years. But that's right. Very, right. That, that's very Call of Cthulhu. No, just ignore the problem. Hope it goes away. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> we'll just put a big sign on the door that says "Do not enter." Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. But at the same time, one of the other ways you could you could go into the party and basically convince the ghosts that the party sucked and they would all just leave. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> Oh, good times. I like that. I like that. <laughs> All right. So uh, chronologically, then the next game on the list would be GURPS Horror, mm. um, which was, if I recall right, the very first GURPS game. Uh, this is GURPS first edition because we're back in 87 here. Yeah. Uh, there would be a second edition as well, but I believe this is still for first. You might so want to explain what, what GURPS is, Rob. Oh, yeah. GURPS. Steve Jackson's game, the generic universal role-playing system. Um, it was the first, if I remember right, actual generic role-playing system. I mean, the, technically. Uh, well, there's debate of whether the Champions Hero System is technically the first or whether it's GURPS is the first. 
because Hero, they would later on, they used it for champions, and then the Hero system, they would eventually use it for other games. And so does that make it generic? Because they did use that same system for other games? Or does... Or is GURPS, which came out, obviously, as a generic game right from the beginning, count as a generic game? As yeah. the first one, anyway. Yeah, but if you go back, Dungeons & Dragons, Metamorphosis, Alpha, and Gamma World all pretty much use the same rules. That's true. Yeah, because there was a lot of... Um, GURPS was kind of the first universal system marketed as such. Right. But when you go back, a lot of companies had their own house system. Like, the Call of Cthulhu rules use the RuneQuest rules. Like, they're the same system. Right. And so yeah, did true. Elric. And, and like... Um, that's true. Stalking the Night Fantastic, that's the Tritax system that they used for Fringeworthy and Incursion and all their right. other stuff. So GURPS was really just the first one that they made to be generic right from the beginning. It wasn't based on any particular setting. It was designed to be a generic system. Yeah, I think that would probably best way of looking at it. Okay, well, I could see that. Anyway, so it included the very first Psionics rules for GURPS uh, back in the day because there yeah. was magic, but I don't think they had Psionics. Um, it also in introduced the Fright Check rules. Yeah. Which GURPS hadn't had prior to that. For obvious reasons, they introduced Fright Check. Um, and it covered three different settings, the Victorian era, the Roaring Twenties, and a modern era, with the obvious intent for being, I suppose, uh, more, what, hammer horror for Victorian, probably. The Twenties would be Cthulhu-esque, and the modern would be, well, whatever you want. Um, yeah. Probably maybe more slasher, because this came out in 87, right? So the yeah. slasher films are still a popular um yeah horror's doing pretty well at this point in general but <laughs> and of course the GURPS rules themselves one of the nice things about them is is that they're a very realistic rule sort of relatively speaking so again like that TriTac game if you're playing GURPS characters yeah you can get messed up really really easy yeah and so that adds a certain level of fear to the whole thing you do not feel feel invulnerable while playing a GURPS character no, <laughs> you know, that dude, that other guy having a knife is actually a scary thing, and you want to get the hell away from him. Mm -hmm. So yeah, GURPS. I I have a copy of it around. I don't think I was actually able to play it as a horror game. Uh, I played GURPS in many other kinds, but GURPS horror. But uh, I always wanted to try a game that one. I think that would have been fun. Ooh. All right. Since so, since there's no other comments, let's move on to well, um, actually, actually. Okay, I if I'd like to kind of point one thing out because we're kind of getting to the getting to where this is gonna gonna be important. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at the horror games, everybody's still more or less doing Cthulhu at this point, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Ghostbusters one's a little different. Chill is taking those steps towards like a whole different kind of thing, but the Chill game never quite took off. Mm -hmm. GURPS horror is very Cthulhu. It's very rep anybody who's played GURPS, like like you were saying, GURPS tends to be more realistic. Mm -hmm. so the horror it keeps the idea but it doesn't quite have the feel because again part of horror is the unknown and because everything is so well defined in GURPS there isn't a lot of unknown and there isn't a lot you can really f kind of fudge to, to, to fake the unknown that's true I mean it's not as bad as the hero system where literally everything is quantified but in GURPS, yeah, you, you probably do have more of a sense of the stats, but that can go both yeah. ways, though, because you know just how vulnerable you are in GURPS. Yeah, it can. It, it's it's 
it's again, it comes from that Call of Cthulhu thing. Like when you play Cthulhu, if the players knew the stats of the monster, it just made them scarier. That's true. So, and it's okay. horror was pretty good for for adding to other campaigns. GURPS kind of does another horror thing later on that's uh, more to my liking, I guess we'd say, but I think we'll be getting to that. Well, we'll be getting to this other stuff in a second, but first we should probably d- visit uh, Palladium Games. Okay. And their entry to the list, of course, Beyond the Supernatural, mm. uh, which is the Palladium, um, obviously, horror role-playing game. Yeah. Um, although I would classify this as, for the most part, like, it's basically, especially because the Palladium system itself is so... It's the opposite of the GURP system. Whereas the GURP system is meant to be realistic, the Palladium system is meant to be heroic. Yeah. And so as an end result, when you make a role-playing game with that system, you're going to end up with basically a monster hunting game. That's, yeah. There's not really an option there. You're going to end up with heroic monster hunters who are like, you know, tracking the evil down and uh, blowing it up real good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys play it? Yeah. Do you guys play uh, Beyond the Supernatural? Oh, Yeah. Uh, I loved it, actually. I thought it was really interesting because it was almost like uh, the monsters were still a threat, but you could actually give them a run for your money or run for their money, rather, just yeah. because you you had uh, really, really weird ideas. That's what I kind of liked about that game. Like, they had the different kinds of psychics Yeah. in that game, including my all-time favorite, which I think was called the Nega Psychic or the – what was the – was that the what it was? Psychic, the yeah. No, the that's, yeah. I, I remember that. The Nega Psychic, Yeah. The guy that that disbelieves that there are monsters so badly that he actually creates like a negative energy uh, field, so like stuff doesn't affect him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like you know, the vampire tries to hypnotize me. He's like, "Well, please, there's no such thing as vampires. It legitimately doesn't work." Right. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. Um, it does kind of throw things off a little bit, but again, that goes along with the you know the more heroic aspect of the game. Yeah, well, we we found out uh, interestingly that uh, yeah, you're right, Rob. It was not meant for like playing um, average people. Mm-hmm. There's there's uh, there's a, a adventure I sat in on where we tried to play as normal people, or at least I tried to rolled up uh, what essentially would be a, a normal guy, and I couldn't do it. Uh-huh. So I, I had this janitor in a school that was basically Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> that, that like was this unco- unstoppable killing machine that like you know. <laughs> But that's because the game was not designed for... You're supposed to be, like, literally mm-hmm. super heroic guys fighting monsters. Yeah. So yeah. it was not meant to be the, the you know, the, the bigger horror that you're, is encompassing in on you. You can take this stuff on right. yeah. easily, right? Well, so, yes uh, and no. If I remember right, wasn't the original adventure that either comes with it or something like that, you're supposed to be playing a bunch of 14-year-old girls? Um, that doesn't sound familiar to me. There is what there isn't, because uh, beyond, beyond the supernatural... There's two different ways of doing characters mm-hmm. because you could play normal people. There's a little section for that where basically uh, you roll your dice and pick two skills is what it kind of amounts to. Mm-hmm. Um, the one you're thinking of with the 14-year-old the where you're playing like a group of like 14-year-olds, it's not a regular adventure for the game. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an, showcasing this idea of, of playing normal people. Okay. Because there's a few sample adventures. One of the other ones is you play like a family that just moved into a haunted house. Okay. And it's the same idea. The characters are made using these innocent bystander rules. But the idea is if they survive the adventure, then you pick a regular class and flesh them out. Right. Then they then they beef up. 
Yeah, because that was when it came out. We weren't huge fans of it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, and Beyond the Supernatural became the uh, Palladium Magic and, and Psionics system, right? Like every game that afterwards used those systems, they had a different yeah, one yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was what we didn't like because it wasn't it really horror. Oh, the monster shows up. Okay, Bob, put up your psychic shield. Dave's going to start an exorcism. I'm going to use my pyrokinetics to, like, take him out. You know, well, that's a weird superhero game. That's not yeah. horror. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a catch to that, too. Um, mm-hmm. Because the original rules that are, uh, it was a Randy Peterson mm-hmm. that wrote it, I believe. No, Randy McCall. Randy McCall was the one who wrote it. And the original version of the game wasn't going to be a Palladium game. He wrote a straight-up horror-style game. Mm-hmm. But then uh, they they did a rewrite. Kevin Simbita did a rewrite and made it part of the Palladium system. Oh, I see. And then that created big... There was a friction between the two of them for years after that. But that's why if you look at the cover, there's the three guys fighting that whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. That whatever the hell it is is this like ancient rat demon that was in the original version of the game. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, and that's why it doesn't show up anywhere. It's because it was it was. Oh, and I that, wondered that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that was that was the that was the deal with uh, with with that that it was originally supposed to be a very different game, but that was hmm. the point when everything Palladium did was going to use the Palladium system. Right, because, well, again, we're at the point where every company wants to have their system. That's the uh, touchstone. That's what makes their games unique and makes people love them and their system. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a marketing thing and totally understandable. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, I will will say one last thing about that game, if I may. Mm -hmm. I did really like their take on vampires. Okay. The way they explained it in that game, which is, um, I think they called it the vampire intelligence. So, someone gets killed and bitten by a vampire. Um, what happens is the person dies and what amounts to an alien, um, I, I guess, life force gets in there and, and sort, of, sort of hijacks the body. Okay. So the whole idea of like the, the tortured vampire that just still wants to be human, that's all baloney. It's like literally something else at the driver's seat. Right. Yeah. You know, but because it's in the head, it's in their body. It, it uses all the memories. That's why it can it can say, "Oh yeah, come on, it's me." I don't you remember when we were kids and we built that tree fort? Right. Like Ooh. it can use that against people, but ultimately, <laughs> yeah, the, the person's long dead. Right. So yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting take on it. That is an interesting take. That's actually a really good and creepy take on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There there was some stuff that you could do um, with it. That added that that idea of the unknown because uh, we had a campaign. They found it. It was a cursed sword, mm-hmm. and all I did there's a there, there's a a type of of entity like what they mm-hmm. they they were called ghosts that can inhabit things. It can ha- inhabit physical objects, right? And I just rolled that up and said, "Well, it it's a sword and it talks to you, and then it can use its regular abilities and do like you know." these weird powers and nobody figured out it's just this basic monster out of the book right so you had a little bit to play with and it it, like i said it was interesting it just didn't seem terribly horror to us right no it really isn't actually you're right don it's it's more of like a weird superhero game in a lot of ways Mm. yeah it would definitely is it's it's like it's monster hunting It's, Mm. it's a monster hunter game yeah as opposed to a 
a horror game, really, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, as opposed to what would be next on the list, which would be it came from the late, late, late show. <laughs> yes, a classic. Um, I'm afraid that one I've never even seen a copy of. Which I, I actually had it. Uh, I had a copy of that. Yes, I did. I think it's the one I'm thinking of. Is that the one, Don, where you're also – it's this weird meta game where you're you're also playing as actors in a movie. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. That yeah. is pretty weird. So wouldn't that – but it's meant to be a comedy, right? I mean it's the uh, oh, yeah. B-movie, B-movie horror role-playing game. Well, it's it's the B-movie game because uh, – right. I've actually got all three books for it, and you can do different kinds of B-movies. Horror is just one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's again, if, if you've got the right group, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Because, uh, like Chad said, you play, the way characters work is you roll up your character, and your character's an actor. And then the adventure is a movie, and there's different mm-hmm. roles based on the movie. So it'll be like the dashing lead. And... If you've ever played it, it's from uh, Stellar Games, who also did uh, uh, they did uh, Nightlife, which will be coming out. Mm-hmm. It, yes. It's it's the same rules, right? But instead of luck, you have star power, and that represents how famous you are, right? And whoever's whoever's the most famous gets first pick at which role they get, and then you work your way down. And each role will have different things because there's rules huh. for. Um, there's rules for coaching. Right. So if you're playing like the Western game, everybody gets like pistol at, at 20%. If you've got more already, you keep that. But if you don't have it at all, then just for that adventure, you get it representing that you were coached how to play a cowboy. Mm. And then during the game, you can do stuff that's part out of the adventure. So if the monsters come and eat my character, I can make a uh, fame check and insist on a rewrite so my character escapes. Right, right. Uh, hmm. you, you can do the grindhouse thing where you can have, like, a reel of film missing. Right. And do just like the movie, we're all trapped! Oh, we barely escaped with our lives, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 really delicate, though. Like, as Don said, if you have, it, it really only fits a very specific mindset of player that yeah. mm-hmm. are, are going to get it because this is a game where yeah like imagine running you know if you trust it over with Call of Cthulhu you could have a scenario where you convince the director that Cthulhu doesn't uh, it doesn't look real enough so they take a break <laughs> yeah mm. and in that time you, you you use that time to build like the anti-Cthulhu device you know right and then, and then convince the script writer to put it in the, in the movie okay yeah. Yeah. It's really, like I said, it's meta. It's incredibly meta, that game. Like, it's mm-hmm. meant to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Huh. I'm, so, you know, it's its greatest strength, but also it's weirdly its weak, its biggest weakness. Because if you have someone that can't operate on those sort of dual levels, it just becomes confusing. Right, right? yeah, it would be, yeah. Well, that, and, and you kind of bring your own fun, because it's like the Ghostbusters game that you need participants who are witty and and quick and willing to run with stuff, right? But that's hmm. that that's a comedy game in general. Problem is that you kind of need people who are funny for. Well, you need one guy who isn't, and then the rest of the group is funny, and that's what <laughs> makes it work. 
right. <laughs> and you just you just tortured that guy for the for the rest of the game. Yeah, because that's it's like I said when we played Paranoia with Romero. He'd never played. He was a serious gamer, and they made him squad leader, which in Paranoia means that you're just basically there to take blame for what everybody else does. <laughs> right, right. And it was it was beautiful. It was he never played again. Hmm. <laughs> so you traumatized him, is what you're saying? Well, yeah, which you're kind of supposed to in paranoia, so it's all good. Okay, well, that's true. It's paranoia. Yeah. Uh, all right, so moving along then. Um, the next horror role-playing game that I'm going to mention is um, Nightlife. Yeah. Which uh, came out in, let me double-check, I believe it was 89. Am I close? I think it is. Uh, it's like 89. Uh, 1990, actually. Yeah. 1990. I was close. Anyway, so uh, Nightlife is basically like it's the vampire role playing game. it's kind of the world of darkness game you're basically playing monsters um and they're you're playing what they call the kin um who live secretly among humanity and there's a whole bunch of factions and groups of them and some of them want to uh defend you know humanity and keep 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 the peace uh humanity they refer to as the herd because yeah. you know for obvious reasons um, and then there are people that don't and basically want to just slaughter the herd and uh, or do horrible things. And usually your characters are members of the the kin subculture or culture that are trying to actually keep the peace in one form or another. Or you can play it like as, you know, clan factions or however you want. Yeah. Um, the game itself referred to itself as a splatterpunk role-playing game rather than a horror role-playing game per se. Mm-hmm. And that's because, remember, you are monsters. It you know, it, in some ways, it's almost borderline monster superhero in a way. I mean, but there's a lot of really uh, weird monsters. Like, it's not just vampires. There's a ton of monsters. I had both books for the game. And a lot of them are really weird. Like, one of my favorites was the German vampire that basically, you know, could their head, their neck, and their organs would pop out of their body. And on the- oh, I thought that was from Thailand. Pengang Gangling, I can't pronounce it. Oh Pengang yeah, that thing. is it from Yang. Thailand? I thought it was a Thailand. I thought there's a German one that's like that too. Anyway, but yeah. Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> there's the um, yeah. There's this yeah. It's this, and you could have that as a player character. You yeah. would just have the ability to fly and everything, but it's just it's just your head, your neck, and your organs. It's not the rest of your body that's flying around. Mm-hmm. I think Pengallen, wasn't it? Pengallen. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, but um, yeah, they so that was one. They had all sorts of bizarre things where like guys are like made of worms and all sorts of really, really bizarre and weird monster characters. And you could have any of them as PCs. Some of them were not intended to be PCs. They did make that clear that some of them are just so weird. It's like and so um, nasty that you really couldn't imagine a character playing this. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go right ahead. Yeah. And um, it was it was not too bad. It, it was it was an okay game. I ran it a couple times. Chad's played it because I ran it for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to remember though, um, Rob. Was it wasn't there something in the game that you're supposed to like keep your humanity in check? Because I'm thinking yep. back to what Don said earlier about. I the believe whole... there was. Yeah, yeah, there yep. was yeah. some uh, humanity thing. Yeah, yeah. Because then, any... oh, mm-hmm. sorry, go. Oh no, I was going to say because uh, using any of your monster powers, would, you'd lose humanity, mm. and. Um, Feeding, depending on how it is that you 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 feed, you'd lose humanity. Right. Yeah. Because that or was drain, the, as they called it. Yeah. Because that was the idea, and this is kind of the first. It it really is like pre World of Darkness, World of Darkness. Right. And it still counts 
even though, like you say, it's kind of a weird superhero game, I'd count it as horror because it's got that personal horror. Mm. That it, it's that idea that, yeah, I can do all these great things and I've got a responsibility to protect people and that, but there's this steady cost. And the way, right. it, the way it works is the humanity cost for so many things was so high that, yeah, if, if, if your character slipped for a minute, like, you were done. You start down this, like, road of madness and monsterness really quick. Mm. Yeah. So that – and that kept it from being a superhero game and kept it a little more horror. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Makes sense. It, it was It was another one I liked. And by the way, there's, like, five books. Oh, are there? I only had, like, two, maybe three. Two, okay. two or three because there was a monster. I have the original book. Yeah. There's a – one was called Kinrise. Which is the post-apocalypse. Which is the post-apocalypse. There's also the monster book. There's like a supplement. I don't remember what it's called, but there's a supplement that goes with it. Yeah. Um, There's the magic book. Yes, there is, which I actually did have. I did have the magic book. Oh, apparently I had more copy books than I thought. There's there's the city book, which covers a bunch of different cities. Okay, that I didn't have. And there's a big campaign adventure. That's really disturbing. I've seen it, but I did I, so I think the ones I actually had were – I don't remember there being a monster book, but I think that's the magic book. I think the magic book just happens to also include a whole bunch of other monsters with it. No, there is another I, one because the one you're thinking of talks more about there's different life stages for the for the boogly monsters. Oh, okay. And there is a book that details that and I think it has like more monsters in that. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I remember – because I know I had the magic book and the original one and I thought that there was another book that actually added lots more monsters. Yeah. And uh, because I – you know, I I thought that was a really cool idea. Um, Anyway. All right. So uh, let's continue on our little journey then. Um, They did good stuff. Stellar Stellar Games did a lot of good stuff. I'm kind of disappointed they didn't get farther. Yeah, because actually – wait. So Stellar Games, the ones who did Nightlife were also the ones who did – uh, the Late 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 Show game. Yep. And I they, suddenly realized that. They did After Wars, which mm-hmm. I almost have a copy of. And they did, uh, there was a spy one they did too, but I've never seen the spy one. It's like super rare. I assume when you say you almost had a copy, what you're referring to is you have like a PDF of it or something. No, I ordered one. Uh, it hasn't arrived yet. Oh, okay. It's on, it's on, it's in the mail. Okay. Yeah. I had to get it because, like I say, they're one of the companies that from, like, the golden age of role-playing games, they did smaller books. They did more focused books. They, But they have this mm. weirdness to them, and they give you a lot of room and encouragement to take off with it on your own. Right. And I okay. kind of miss that sometimes. Yeah, okay. I can see that. I can definitely see that. Mm. All right. So um, let's see. Next on our little list would probably be worth mentioning Ravenloft. Yeah. Um, which, of course, is the... I think we already mentioned it, is the is the D&D horror role-playing game. The original yeah. one, anyway. Which, um, yeah, it w- works fine. I mean, that's... Uh, you know, that that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so... Movie, and, of course, next on the list would be, coincidentally enough, the World of Darkness game, the very first one, Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, I think you got to kind of differentiate because I don't think all the World of Darkness games are really horror games. I would agree with that. Most of them are actually soap operas. Yeah, but they're horror. Like, Vampire's a horror game because, again, it's it's that idea that the horror mm-hmm. comes from, from in, inside. Right. 
Like you're constantly fighting against your good and bad sides during the game. Right. So I think that's why I would count that as like like a, a straight up horror game. Not just because it's got right. vampires and stuff in it. Oh, okay. Hmm. That's that that's fair enough. If I remember right, it's the vampire game, you ha you're a vampire character, you belong to one of the clans, and you have is the vampire game the one where you have the shadow? Like you you have your oh. your shadows and dark self that you're fighting against? No, that's Wraith. Okay, Wraith is the one we have. Yeah. What, what's Vampire? Vampire thought had something like that too, didn't it? Uh, vampire, you have uh, one of your stats is humanity. Mm, okay, and it's another one like that. Yeah. There's it changes in different games because different kinds of vampires. Uh, the original book, you're part of the Camarilla, which are basically, I guess you mm-hmm. say, you're good guy vampires. Right. Um, other ones will have what they call a path, which is like your personal philosophy. And it, it works like humanity with different values. And then that's the idea that as it goes down, you become like more and more of a monster. Mm. And by doing more like atrocious acts, it, it weighs on your humanity. And the way they set it up, and I used to make everybody play it out. Because again, the, right. white, the White Wolf stuff we played to death as well. Um, If you did something that would cost humanity, and it depended, because the game... Stats go from 1 to 5 or 1 to 10 based on the stat. Right. Uh, for humanity, the average person would be at like a 7. Mm-hmm. Which means like if I just assault someone for no reason, well, that's like the cutoff point for level 7. So if I did that, I would have to make a conscience roll, which is another one of your stats, for it not mm-hmm. to drop to 6. Because that means that I thought it over and I felt bad about what I did kind of thing. Right, right. And I used to make the characters play that out. Like, you'd have to kind of give the reasoning, and if the difficulty of the role would be based on the reasoning you gave for your character. Right, okay. And it, it worked It worked because uh, the WAD stuff is kind of the beginning of, like, your narrativist games. Right. The focus being on the drama and the character over the plot and the adventure. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and so I guess that does, that does lead in, okay, that puts it in the horror category. Yeah. Um, you know, I vaguely remember playing it, but I don't remember it being particularly horror. Like I said, I usually it tended to be, you know, people with, uh, or here, it usually tend to be supers with fangs, basically, yeah. where usually you were like out hunting like evil vampires or trying to stop that enemy clan or whatever from doing evil stuff. You were the crime crusher. The Crime Crusher. Oh, yeah, the Crime Crusher. Yes, yes, yeah, the Crime Crusher. Did I just hear a poom? Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that thing. You should explain what that is, Don. Go ahead. Oh. Well, um, way back in the day, you had comic magazines. Warren put them out. One of them was Eerie. And it was horror stories. And they did this one about this, like, uber-violent superhero guy that at the end you find out is actually a vampire, that he's crazy and thinks he's a superhero. But because he only eats bad guys, the cops kind of turn a blind eye to him. Yep. <laughs> the it's like their little take on Batman, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. Yep. He's Batman, <laughs> except he's eating them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he's an actual bat. <laughs> he can actually turn into a real bat. Well, yeah. There we go. <laughs> That'll do it. Um, next on the list, I mean, unless you want to spend more time with Vampire. Actually, here, before we go on, though, so how what effect does Vampire then have on the horror games that come after it? Like, how does Vampire set a new standard? Because I know you've mentioned that before. Yeah, basically what happens is after the uh, White Wolf stuff, mm-hmm. everybody does the White Wolf stuff. 
Because the White Wolf stuff makes a ton of money. Yeah, like it's it's like the Image Comics things. White Wolf came out of nowhere. Within like mm-hmm. two years, we're one of the, the biggest companies going. I think they were like number th- three, which when you think mm-hmm. how far one and two like our number three is pretty good and they they were making all the money so everybody just said i think what happened in one hand is everybody said let's do that and make money and on another hand because they went kind of the goth emo route it brought mm-hmm. a new audience into gaming so you had all of these people who weren't terribly interested in having their fifth level whatchamacallit you know take a torque wrench to the evil dragon of underdark like it didn't it didn't matter they were more into the er my tortured existence stuff and that kind right. of that changed the the nature of gaming for a long time. Mm, I could see that. Mm. Well, it may it changed the focus more from like running around the monsters, stopping the monsters, to that more personal horror you were talking about before. Yeah, yeah and okay. and, and that idea that of it being character driven because you can do that. Like uh, like Chad was saying when you got to the some of the games that encouraged like the Ghostbusters one, alternate solutions. We used to just do that in every game we played. Mm. There was one campaign for D&D. They brought democracy to the orcs that caused the collapse of their society. And that was our D&D campaign. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's one way to do it. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, Don, now, uh, I'm curious, is, uh, the, the popularity of this thing, might have, was it fueled at all by, like, uh, um things like Interview with a Vampire, where this whole thing of, of, you know, being the monster now became more popular than fighting the monster? Yeah, because what you basically had was... Because mm. vampires and race the role-playing game. Like, yeah. It, it, right, yeah. It really is. And, and what had happened was it brought that crowd into gaming. Okay. That, like, prior to that... Even even mm. if you look at the books, the books weren't done like gaming books. They looked like coffee table books. Yeah. They looked like art collections that you get for, for famous artists and that. And it brought a it, it brought like a new audience in. And I think that mm. was part of why it took off so much and everybody started doing that. It wasn't just that they wanted to rip it off to make money. It was that that mindset had been brought into into gaming. Yes. That you had I mean sorry. Oh no! Go ahead. No, I, I was going to say it, and I just forgot what I was going to say. Continue. Sorry. Oh, because <laughs> because this is also the beginning of the uh, frustrated writer era of role playing games. Well, before we go there, one other thing we should mention: very shortly after Vampire was released, they also released the LARP version of their rules for live yeah. action role playing, and that's what really exploded. I mean, yeah. the regular gamers played the tabletop version, but normal people they played the LARP version. Yeah, and that and, became a huge like alert parties everywhere for a while there. Yeah, because again, it, it brought some, it brought a new audience in. Mm. It was something that old school gamers didn't necessarily care about, but people who were more casual gamers or like party gamers or that, or came from mm-hmm. like the frustrated actor scene, like like a lot of goth types did. That kind of it it, mm-hmm. it added that to gaming in general. Yeah, exactly. Because, like I say, the frustrated writer thing, mm-hmm. you started seeing, because the, the White Wolf stuff would have these little mini stories in that to illustrate different parts of the game. Mm-hmm. After that, everybody did that, and I remember games that you it would just be like a collection of short stories that the rules seemed tacked on as an afterthought. 
Right. <laughs> All, yeah, it's like also stats. Yeah, like there was a lot of them like that. Or and then he started doing it with with comics, where you'd have like a comic little mini comic book intro, and there were games that it looked like they kind of just did it as a game. Just mm-hmm. so the gaming crowd would read their comic book, but the game part was actually pretty thin. Well, yeah. I think the idea was, remember, that Vampire made a ton of money in many different ways. I mean, there was technically even a... Actually, there were, no, there was a Vampire TV show at one yep. point. It didn't last very long, but one did that was actually made. Um, there's actually one running right now called The Vampire Diaries that is basically Vampire the Masquerade, the TV show, too. Um, I think it's been on like a decade, but there was an actual Vampire the Masquerade one for a while with people hissing at each other. Yeah. Uh, um, but anyway, that's not, the, that's not the point. The point is, this is the point where people realize vamp, uh, where people realize role-playing games could make money and you could also sell them as licensed properties to other mediums as well. And yeah. I think that's what you're talking about. There was that, too, because you had little bits of that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big thing. Like, Dungeons & Dragons got licensed for everything back in the day. Yep. Um, there were other games that you'd see product, like, um, around this time, too, the Mutant Chronicles came out. Mm-hmm, that's true. And um, prior to that, Warhammer 40,000 did well. So companies would try to do games that were role-playing games and war games. Right, yeah. Because then you could sell miniatures and that as well. And there was a lot of there was a lot of trying to do that, and it worked. Because remember the beginning of the 80s, you had licensed properties coming into gaming. Mm-hmm. And towards the end, you had gaming companies that wanted to do that. Right, um, right, yeah. Battletech was getting licensed out. Uh, you were seeing novels based on a lot of different role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And it was because, yeah, it was they were the gaming industry was trying to expand outward into other properties. Yeah, and in some cases they succeeded, in some they didn't. Yeah, um, it was a bit of a mix. Yeah, um, and also gaming was uh, also there was another trend though that was going on at the same time. Um, World of Darkness, coincidentally, Vampire the Masquerade, World of Darkness, same thing basically, um, came out at roughly the exact same time as a game called Rifts. From uh, the Palladium system, which yeah. of course was them doing a weird post-apocalyptic, beyond the supernatural, Gonzo setting, which we talked about during our post-apocalyptic game. Yeah, um, that also made a ton of money, um, and so it ended up spawning a bunch of we'll call them mashup games, where people did like, look took a couple different genres and slammed them together. Yeah, um, the one that's relevant to this discussion being Dark Conspiracy. <laughs> which came out the year after Risk. Uh, Rifts, Rifts. Sorry, not Risk. The year after Rifts. Mm. Yeah, that's another one of my favorites. I know that is, Don. Why don't you tell us about Dark Conspiracy? Um, like you said, there was a lot of different kinds of mashups. One of the first ones was Shadowrun. That's true. Where it looked like they said, um, people like Dungeons and Dragons, people like Cyberpunk. Put them together. Mm-hmm. Dark Conspiracy was, what if you took Cyberpunk and made it a horror story? Mm-hmm. And it's another one. It falls into that category where I'd say it's kind of pseudo horror mm-hmm. because you can you can fight back. You're not always outgunned, mm-hmm. but it definitely stays to the horror because the idea is it's a cyberpunk setting. The world collapsed, but it was because aliens and evil monsters were secretly working behind the scenes to cause that. Right. And it does a good job of being weird, creepy, and horrifying. Like the one adventure where there's the secret tunnel made out of baby parts, I think counts. 
Mm. <laughs> so, Baby parts. Yep, yeah, because yep. the uh, the the one group of aliens they use like biotechnology, mm-hmm. but they don't grow it. They have to kind of cannibalize other organisms. Oh, great! So they've been working at this hospital and secretly for a long time kidnapping the newborns and saying, "Oh, the baby didn't make it." But then, kind of dismantling them and stretching them into this like gate that teleports to one of their one of their other bases, so they can move back and forth. Awesome! So it's this tunnel with all these little tiny crying faces and hands reaching out for you. It's like, ah, you. <laughs> I think we just gave a couple of listeners nightmares. Maybe we should have put a trigger warning at the beginning of this one. Yeah, that's not even one of the creepiest of. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, are you going to put that as a disclaimer, uh, Rob? <laughs> may, may, may discuss baby tunnels. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This episode may contain baby parts. <laughs> but they did a lot of that, too, and it kept the horror idea because um, mm-hmm. two skills that you could pick up mm-hmm. were uh, foreboding and willpower. Okay. Foreboding was that, I got a bad feeling about this. And willpower would let you resist different boogly monsters' abilities in that. And there's kind of this slow decline because you mm-hmm. find that the different groups fighting the monsters start using some of their technology. Right. And it's got weird side effects. Like some of it will like lower your willpower because it makes you susceptible. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite flaw was feed. That's okay. For every charge you used in this device, it made you crave a pound of raw meat as soon as possible. Okay, then. So so it still has that, it's, it's pseudo-horror, but it has that internal horror kind of aspect to it, because there is this mm-hmm. weird kind of slow decline to your characters. Right, right, yeah. Okay, well, so, yeah, there's definitely a horror aspect then, okay. Yeah. Um, wow, okay, so Dark Conspiracy, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, at least that's what you claim. I have never gotten a chance to play it. <laughs> I, th- I think it would be fun to play, though. It's another one when you get the package adventures. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of them are unwinnable. Right. Because they do the Cthulhu thing, and then this monster shows up, and you fight. The thing has more armor than my house. What am I supposed to do to it? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, then. But I guess since there are monsters already generally here, it's not like you can defeat them or, or sorry, just imprison them exactly. I mean, I guess unless you're again using the aliens teleport guns or something. No, the, what the premise of the story is, is that um, back in the 50s, we make contact with aliens mm-hmm. and the aliens are advanced and there's different like species of them and they have kind of a loose confederation. And Earth governments make deals and get technology from them. And it's generally an amicable kind of exchange. Mm -hmm. But at some point, and the game never gives you a definite time when it takes place. Mm -hmm. You kind of, if you, if you go through and figure out it's sometime around 2040. Right. So sometime around like 20, like 2000, 2010, a, a mission to Mars discovers this temple Mm-hmm. And they accidentally open it up, and that temple is a doorway to like a dimension full of these all powerful evil demonic entities. Right. And because the aliens are psychic, these entities mm-hmm. start possessing the aliens and turning them evil. Okay. And you find out that things like vampires and ghosts and that they're real. They're usually a little different from what legend says, but they happen at times in history when the the difference between like the evil universe and ours are thin. And mm. something can slip through. But when they open this gate, 
all this evil rushes into our universe. They take control of the aliens. It emboldens the boogly monsters that are here. And that's what starts them collapsing our society so they can take over. Right. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a uh, good way to take over, I guess. <laughs> all right. And the characters are slowly working to try to stop that. Yeah. Good luck with, you know, and good luck to them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So from this point on, I mean, there's a number of horror RPGs, but the truth is I ha- don't think I've actually played any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to just say, you know, if you guys want to look at the list and, you know, discuss some that are you see on the list that you think are interesting, have at it. Um, actually, there's what's the one? Uh, uh, I actually saw it just here on the list. It's the uh, it's the Wild West horror. One. Deadlands. Deadlands. I remember reading about this thing back at the, back in the day, and 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 I actually kind of re uh, reacquainted myself with it about a day ago. And uh, it's such a great idea because I love like weird west stuff. Uh-huh. Like like my favorite western is uh, Valley of Guanji, where it's cowboys <laughs> versus a dinosaur. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, this is something bizarre, and I kind of don't care. But uh, like cowboys are okay, but cowboys and then you know versus a vampire. Oh, well, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. And that's what this thing kind of is. Um, <laughs> But it had a really neat idea to it that it's it's basically a, a ritual carried out by the uh, the Native Americans to get rid of all those darned English uh, Europeans, and in doing so, they open up a conduit to this this kind of darker dimension where you know uh, it's trying to feed its influence into our world, mm-hmm. and uh, basically it, it needs humanity to get to a certain point of fear. That's what it feeds off of, and once it gets to that point. It just op- the door opens up 100 percent and it gets in. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, um, so the idea is that this is why, like, it can only right now influence things slightly, but any areas where its 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 uh, influence has really taken a foothold, like the um, the environment changes. So, like, rocks become monsters, trees become gnarled and have faces on them, and monsters start wandering around. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I thought that's really a cool idea mm. for the setting. Right. right? Yeah, it is. And as a result, um, some of the foreign, um, I guess from this other dimension, other materials started coming into our world, which then got reverse engineered into like steampunk technology. Mm -hmm. So like the technology started upping upping the ante way faster than it should have. So they're running around with like steam powered engines and like like you know what I mean like cars and stuff like this. It's really weird. Like I think you have like flying machines, like stuff that shouldn't be around back then. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's huh. been accelerated, and I thought, well, that's kind of a cool idea. Mm-hmm. That that's not bad. actually, that does make sense. Yeah, it's not bad. Because hmm. that's that's Deadlands was a pretty good game. Uh, oh, so you played it, Don? I've never played. It's one of the few games I kind of got into after I stopped having friends. Okay, <laughs> so, so I've never <laughs> played it. Problem? It is. I've I, I've read a bunch. I wouldn't mind running it because mm-hmm. I've I've read a bunch. And yeah, it is. It is a nifty nifty idea because they do all kinds of weird what do they call there's guys that die but don't fully die okay hmm. like do you remember what i'm talking about no they're they're not exactly zombies they're still intelligent in that but they're they're like the restless dead kind of idea mm-hmm. that's something oh, okay that something keeps them anchored to this world Oh, I see. Okay. So they're, they're just sort of hanging on, but... Yeah, uh, do you remember what they were called? No. Because I remember there was that, and then I thought the idea of how magic worked was pretty good. Right. Because it was, it was based on, like, uh, cards, because it was all, like, manipulating chance and fate and stuff. 
Okay. Hmm. I just I just remember that in the in the sort of the story setting, uh-huh. um, the way when this when this ritual first gets carried out and this this conduit opens, the first manifestation of of this you know this change of the world was right after the the Battle of Gettysburg ended mm-hmm. right like all the corpses got up and started attacking everybody and just started wall <laughs> rolling which i thought oh, that's good that's pretty awesome mm-hmm. like, that's, yeah that's the first event <laughs> right because that was a neat game that one was really popular for a while too right hmm. yeah yeah it was oh i isn't there i think there's a deadlands computer game too isn't there i yeah there and i think there are books and then they did different versions because there's uh, mm-hmm. there's kind of um, a turn of the century take on it, right? Where the the oh what the hell was it? Because they did have a name for the evil force, but where basically it wins. Oh, and okay, and they did a they did a campaign on it because I've got like the D twenty version of that one. Because mm-hmm. Deadlands got adapted to different different game systems as well. They did like D twenty and they did a GURPS version, right? But yeah, I can't remember what that was called. Because it was yeah, it was another one where like basically the bad guy won. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I know one game we had we had sort of touched on briefly um, just before we started doing the podcast here was that Little Fears. I think it's mm-hmm. called yeah, Little Fears. Yep. Uh, where it's essentially you're playing little kids versus monsters. So, you know, yeah, you and your friends are all eight years old and have to go investi- <laughs> investigate the noise in the basement. Right. <laughs> yeah, that can't go badly at all, can it? Yep. Well, I, re- I remember actually thumbing through, like, I got a hold of the, a PDF of the of the game, mm-hmm. and it's just, they, even the game admits, yeah, there's going to be some, like, points that are inadvertently kind of funny, Right, because of the nature of what it is, like you're going to get a kid with a hammer knocking a monster in the head. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It just can't help it. Before you know, it's just like that's just the nature of what it is. But, um, but it, it's almost like it goes back to what we discussed earlier, where you're this it, the, the helplessness is really amped up because you are mm. just a little kid. You're not combat trained. You don't have weapons. You're just you know try to either outsmart or avoid whatever's, you know, hunting you or, or causing problems. Yeah. Right. And that's and, when you know, would emphasize that, definitely. Yeah. And it's the typical thing where the adults don't believe you and, you know. Mm-hmm. Apparently there are actually three games um, that mm-hmm. are dedicated to this whole idea of, like, children and versus monsters. Okay. Um, okay. Little Fears is one. Yeah. There's also one called Grimm, which uh, is kind of like evil fairy tales. Grimm's and a little different. No- and then there's also one called Monsters and Other Childish Things. Mm-hmm. Okay. That I found reference to. Um, but I don't know if it's... Um, all I know is that it's another children, you know, in, in peril kind of games. I don't think it's a... Uh, uh, you're, yeah, you're... Yeah, basically you're, you're, you're kids de- dealing with monsters in one form or another. You, mm-hmm. uh, although you said Grimm is actually a little different. Yeah, because Grimm was a uh, it's a D twenty uh, supplement, right? Right, and um, the it it's not exact. It's it's kind of horror. The premise is because remember fairy mm-hmm. tales are like kid stuff, right? Yeah, and what Grimm is about it's kind of the adult version of fairy tales because the premise is 
the characters are basically kids, but you're on the cusp of adulthood. Okay. That you're like, say, you can be like 10 or 11, but a lot of characters will be like 15, 16, going to 17. Mm-hmm. And it's the fairy tale world that represents that change. And they do a lot of weird, horrific things. Mm-hmm. And part of what's happening is as your character's getting older, the mm-hmm. way they interact with the universe changes. Okay. Hmm. So if you're a little, little kid, because your imagination runs wild, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. If you're like an older kid, you can kind of ignore a lot of it because it's the nega psychic thing where it's like, well, that's not real. I don't believe in that. And then it doesn't affect you. Oh, okay. And they did. Oh, it's so fucked up. There's so many because they do like it amounts to horror version of different fairy tales. Mm hmm. So the idea like um, because it, it's the idea that the bottom is falling out of them because you're not a kid anymore and you're you're perspective and that changes so as i recall like snow white is still in the uh in the glass coffin Mm -hmm. and she died a long long time ago but it's like a i think it's like a like a group of semi-intelligent poisonous spiders that now inhabit her body so when (laughs) when a prince comes by to kiss her to wake her up they bite him and kill him and eat him oh okay and there's all there's all kinds of like weird things like uh little red riding hood Mm-hmm. It she's a vampire in the game. Okay. And because she's this kind of like like view of adolescence type vampire, she's like kind of the coy seductress. Right. And it plays out really strange because it's that idea of of like vampires are kind of they're human but more. And mm-hmm. puberty kind of takes you, you're who you were, but more. And it's that, and the the big bad wolf is actually trying to protect people from her, because she's out of control. <laughs> oh, so she's okay. wandering around in the in the forest, basically. Yeah. And he's trying to warn everybody. And there's all these weird ones, like, um, the one that I thought was funny is, is uh, Cinderella is the main villain of, of the piece. Because what happens, okay. she, she she marries Prince Charming and it's a horrible relationship because basically she's like so good and noble and chaste that they never really commence, like, 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 like consummate the marriage. Okay. And as this adolescent idea starts infecting the, the setting because of the, the characters getting older, it all falls apart. She locks him in a dungeon. She ends up hooking up with Humpty Dumpty because he's not human and doesn't care to touch her anyway. And and Humpty's cool with that because he's all fucked up because they tried putting them back together. And now they're the villains who are at the same time trying to dismantle and realign this the their their world because it's starting to fall apart. Okay. Wow. That's weird. It That's cool though. It really hmm. it's really messed up. They did a good job because again, this is the kind of thing that you could get, like I guess you'd say crass and play it for like shock value. Mm-hmm. And they don't do a lot of that. It really is about that idea. Like, when you read how things play out in that, it really is about that idea of how that shift happens from kid to adult and, and the weird things it does to you. Right. Huh. Okay. Yeah, so it, it's not like that, what was it, that, that Alan Moore comic that he did that was like the grown-up fairy tale thing? Oh, Lost Girls? Something like that. Yeah, it's it's really not that. It is fairly tasteful. And and like I said, 
interesting. It's it's another thing I would actually highly recommend. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, that's that's interesting. Hmm. I, I I had no idea. Huh. Hmm. Um. Well, I'm glad we. Uh, I'm glad that came up. I mean, there have been plenty of horror like role playing games. There there actually yeah. are. Um, it's just a lot of them are just you know, variants. Like you got a lot of them are okay horror in different settings, like horror in the old west or horror in old Japan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a few Asian style horror role playing games that have popped up um, yeah. since surprisingly um, few. Surprise, surprisingly few. Yeah. Um, well, it, it depends. I mean, there are a few that are uh, more. Um, there are a few that are more uh, in the sense of, you know, of course, the Asian style horror movies, which, again, are ones where you can't really deal with it. It's usually like an evil ghost or something. So there's yeah. not really a lot you can do. There's been um, – oh, speaking of one Asian here's – here's one Asian one. I don't know if you guys knew. There's actually one Tokyo Black, the hentai. Oh, no. It's Black Tokyo. Sorry. Black Tokyo. Hey, you knew it. Dun-dun. Gotcha. It's, it's going to guide the role-playing game. Really? It's so there are like – there are there are like tentacle monsters in it, right? Yeah, remember it's, gotta, it's it's hentai, so there's got to be right. Remember we used the phrase fan disservice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a a lot of that in it. Okay. Yeah. The only Do you actually have a copy. I've read a couple of the books for it. Okay. I was a couple. Oh, there's like a bajillion of it. the The guys that put it out, I believe, is a uh, Scorch Earth Productions who do right. uh, D20 modern books. And I like a lot of their stuff because they do a lot of like the really weird, strange kind of things. Uh-huh. And they did it. Um, for what I remember, the the basic book mm-hmm. is really basic. It's disturbing and disgusting. It's kind of supposed to be. And, uh-huh. and they achieved that. But some of the other supplements they did, because they did a lot of like... Um, like little five or ten page ones where they take a specific monster or mm-hmm. a specific like something and kind of flesh it out. Some of those were actually really well done. Oh, okay. That when they took the time to come up with a backstory and a mythology to things, it's still gross and disturbing, but it it's it's I can't really fault them for it because they make that more part of the story as opposed to just shock value. Okay, so they're they're using it to enhance the story, and it's it makes sense, sort of. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. So there are other things. Um, there have been a number, of course, of uh, zombie role playing games, of course, because you know the whole <laughs> mm. zo- Walking Dead zombie phenomenon. Uh, the most famous of these, of course, is All Flesh Must Be Eaten. Mm-hmm. Is uh, that considered to be like the popular one? Yeah, that's considered to be the most popular one. It's the most famous of the zombie horror role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, again, one of those things that I'm not sure how scary or horror playing a zombie horror role-playing game would be. I mean, I guess there is that element of, you know, trying to survive, and I suppose that would work. And for some people, that might be great. I mean, but, you know, ultimately, there's there's zombies. The only real danger is if they're in very large numbers, I suppose. At least that's my take on it anyway. But I'm kind of bored with zombies. I have been for a long time, so. Eh. Mm-hmm. Um, this is only really so much you can do with it, yeah. I suppose, yeah. like in terms of variation. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, and that that's why I kind of got bored with them is because there are always so many things you can do with it, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I've seen some nice variations, but yeah, that's that's kind of it. I mean, because we're we're always back to the same problem, I'd say, which is that you can't just kill off the whole party. Well, you can, and that you well you can, <laughs> but usually you can't do it at the same pace you would do it in an actual horror role playing <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, you could, but yeah, I mean, so. It, you're just going to end up with really unhappy people who are sitting there or wander off to stare at their phone for a while while everyone else has fun. So that's just not good for group coherency and such. Yeah. So eventually, I mean, there's limits to what you can do, right? Um, so I, I'd say a lot of uh, horror role-playing games, because there's there's a list of them that we've been looking at, and it's a huge list. I mean, yeah. there must be at least 100 games on this list. Right. Almost all of which were done after 1990. There's a certain point where the horror role-playing game genre just kind of explodes. And they do tons of them. But they all still tend to fall under Don's categories, really, for the most part. Yeah, and that's the the thing with, like, the, the, the horror role-playing games. Like I said, everybody's basically doing Cthulhu or uh, The World of Darkness. Yeah, and there's a lot of Cthulhu games, too. There's been a whole bunch of other ones that have come out, because I guess Cthulhu is maybe in the public domain now. I'm not sure. It might, or, um, or somebody just, because I know there's, uh, somebody might have just got the rights, and now they're pumping it for all they can, because they've been putting out, different companies have been doing actual Call of Cthulhu stuff in different mm-hmm. settings. Okay. So there's, like, one set in, like, ancient Rome, um, there's like this weird diesel punk World War Two Call of Cthulhu setting in that. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen a bunch of like, and they're actually Call of Cthulhu. So right. No, no, I believe it. And some of them, no. some of them are interesting. Some of them are kind of okay. So it's a chance to have a character wearing a different kind of uniform get eaten. Okay, good stuff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. So. I mean, I'm sure that there probably are that we're not aware of. A couple of these games are probably amazing. I mean, there's a couple of them that are probably have some really neat ideas and some really cool mechanics for, like, scaring the hell out of people. But... Because there's a few, like, going down mm-hmm. this, this one list. There's a few here I'm familiar with that actually aren't too bad. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at Dark Harvest. Okay. The Legacy of Frankenstein. That was kind of an interesting one. Okay, that it's it's set in like the uh, the turn of the last century, mm-hmm. and the idea is Frankenstein continues his experiments and he creates his own country based on his experience with like bringing back the dead and making monsters and and grafting and all that. Mm. Like it had interesting stuff in it. Like that's that's a. Uh, I wouldn't say it's exactly a different setting because it's like picture like a whole country full of bad scientists. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it lends itself. There was oh, what the hell were they called? In the seventies, there was a uh, one of those horror magazine publishers. We were talking about why can't I remember the name of them? That they did their stories were mostly reprints of like golden age horror comics, but they did these weird covers, and a lot of them would be kind of like cut and paste versions of of other covers. But they were trying to be as like shocking and gruesome as possible. Mm-hmm. And they would have these weird things. So you'd have like a pack of werewolves tearing a woman into pieces in like a graveyard. And there'd be blood everywhere. But where they'd like pull her arm off, there'd be like gears coming out and stuff. And it was really fucked up. And that's basically, wow. this is basically the game of those covers. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no other way I can explain it. 
That wow. Okay. Oh, I can't remember the company now. But yeah, it was like in the seventies. It was like a like a cheapy fly by night kind of thing. But they did yeah all these. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. So in the show notes, everybody should come to the uh, to the website and look it up because you have to see these things to believe them. Right, right. No, no, I believe it. Mm. And we'll include links, of course, to this giant list that we're making reference to as well. Yeah. Um, so that people can see just how many horror role-playing games there really are out there, which I'm not exaggerating when I say there's over 100 of these things. But the truth is a lot of them are just you know small indie games or supplements for other games in many cases. That's yeah. quite a few. A few of them are very narrow games that are for very specific types of horror but are generally, yeah, they generally still fall into Don's categories of one form or another. Yeah, you're either either you're hunting monsters, you are the monster, or the monsters are coming after you. I mean, that's really what horror role playing games amount to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good that so many people have done them. I mean, that that's fantastic actually, and maybe they've come up with some new approaches as well. I I mean, it could be worth looking into, especially if you like this kind of thing. Um, I, I suppose I'm old school. Again, no surprise there. Where Yeah, if I were playing horror role-playing, I'd probably go back and try playing Chill or uh, Call of Cthulhu or something like that at this point. Right. Um, just because I think there's more fun to be had there. Or it came from the Late 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 Show. <laughs> How about you, Chad? What are your final thoughts? Um... I mean, it's it's. I, I enjoyed doing uh, the, the playing these games back in the day when they were when we did do them. But yeah, it's it's been so long that uh, it's funny nowadays where where people have like access to much more. Um, uh, what's the term I'm trying to use here? Like, there's more tools at your disposal. If you're going to run these one of these types of games, like mm. you have now, like say an iPad where you can play like. Like you know, like like um, uh, appropriate music or That's sound true. effects and stuff. Like this is all stuff that you couldn't do back in the day, but now it's very easy to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and having the sound effects and everything in the music could be awesome. It could really help uh, create an incredible atmosphere for horror role playing games. Yeah. Well, I remember once, Rob. This was a couple of years ago, where uh, you were telling me that you had this idea to play a, a, a it was like a horror game of so I don't know which which game you were going to use to do this, mm-hmm. but the characters are being hunted by Bigfoot monsters, and you're going to basically use the, uh, the oh. those classic recordings <laughs> as the, just to freak them out. Yeah, <laughs> and that would be awesome. I, I think I just it was an idea. I didn't actually didn't get mm-hmm. into the actual running stage, but but yeah, I, I was going to use some. And of course, you've got all the, the the classic recordings. You've got you know the sound of like heavy breathing and stomping in the woods all around them and everything like that. I mean, <laughs> if if you use that properly, that could be really fun. I mean, you could really scare the hell out of a group, especially when it's the characters are stranded in a, in the woods with this thing wandering around them. And, uh, yeah, you could probably make them really paranoid by the end of the evening. Hmm. Right. Because, so, yeah, you don't you didn't have that back back then. It was no, just kind didn't. of like you had to build it by, I don't know, shutting the lights off for the most part. And, well, I think kind I, of, I've heard of people that actually used to play horror role-playing games by candlelight. That was a popular thing. Yeah, we used to. Yeah, there we go. There's yeah. an example. Um, and so, and I'm sure that totally worked. I mean, if you're playing in the evening, you're playing by candlelight. I mean, that would be, that would be great. Mm-hmm. And that would add incredible atmosphere to it. And I think that's what would be one of the other keys. You don't want to play a horror role-playing game in like a brightly lit environment <laughs> and everything. You want to actually, um, 
put the characters in a situation where they're going to dread and put the players in a situation where they're feeling a little off balance as well. Yeah. Just so everyone can have that wonderful horror experience because <laughs> that's what you want in the end after all. You want that roller coaster ride. You want a situation where, you know, it's going to build and build and build and there's going to be ups and downs and people are going to freak out and not sure what's up and you want a situation where in theory the best option would be the players are all jazzed and kind of wired by the end of the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they're just so wired about having to, you know, survive all this stuff and get through it or not as the case may be. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So Don, uh final thoughts? Yeah, I think um horror is one of those things that kind of translated sidewaysly to role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's it's another one of those things to really to really get the most out of a horror game. It's another genre that you like comedy. You need the right kind of player mm-hmm. because right? you, yeah, you need like you say, it's about building that atmosphere. You need the kind of player that can get into the character a little bit more and let go of the mechanics a little bit more at the same time. Mm, okay. And that's that it it does, and that's where I think um I think a lot of horror games kind of fall into that pseudo horror thing because they're still appealing to the gamer in the gamer, right, so there still has to be that out there still has to be that way to out strategize like the the monster, otherwise it's not fair, and a lot of people, like I say, right, need that sense of closure and accomplishment to their game. Which horror doesn't? So, yeah. yeah, horror does not necessarily give you that. No, no. I mean, you want to have some sense that you won, I suppose. But then again, horror can—if you do get through it—you can have a really good sense of accomplishment, mm-hmm. especially if you've played Call of Cthulhu. If you got to the end, that's an accomplishment. It right. it does, and and that's why for for say running it, you really do have to be willing to do horrible things to the player characters. Because to get that, that I think is the key for playing, like, say, Cthulhu. It's like, we made it, but you lost, and the city is gone, and everybody died. But we made it! Shut up! You know? <laughs> and I think yeah. that's that, for the Game Master, that's the challenge, is being willing to let things go to the point where something comes out and goes, group's done. Because that keeps that, yeah. that keeps that integrity to it. And I think that's an excellent point to end this session. So thank you, Chad, for joining us. Um, hey, thanks for having me. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and listening to our little uh, discussion of uh, old school horror RPGs. I'm afraid we're not that knowledgeable you know, about the last decade or two of horror RPGs. But uh, maybe some of you can write in on the website and let us know what your favorite horror RPG is if it's not one that we mentioned. Hmm. Let us know what's good. Drop by ObeyTheDNA.com and uh, check out the show notes and leave a comment. We'd really love to hear from you. Hmm. So, good night, folks. Stay safe. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more, or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes, or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!